0: The Daddy Dada Code by Robert Rankin. Chapter 13. The secret passage emerged from the far side of the pub's car park. Johnny Hooker emerged from it. There were police cars all around the middleman. Most of these, however, were unoccupied. Their occupants now storming the premises, as it were. Johnny Hooker took himself over to the nearest of the unoccupied vehicles. He did this in what is called a skulking fashion. The key was in the ignition. Johnny Hooker entered the car, and, as officers of the law unnecessarily employed one of those big steel cylinder jobbies to smash open the unlocked saloon bar of the door of the middleman, Johnny backed the police car slowly from the car park. The valiant policeman, having stormed into the middleman, would find its landlord prone upon the saloon bar carpet, cruelly struck down by a copper warming pan. The brutality of this new atrocity would elicit a doubling of the reward money. You've never been so quiet, said Johnny as he drove along. Answer came there none to Johnny's ears. Oh, come, come, said Johnny. Surely you have something to say on the matter. Mr. Giggles, however, remained silent, and unseen to Johnny at the present also, as it happened. All right, said Johnny. Don't talk to me. I'm more than happy for you not to talk to me. I know what you're thinking said Mr. Giggles. Do you really? You think that I killed James Crawford, and the doctor, too. It does rather look that way, doesn't it? said Johnny. It will never hold up in court, making decisions for yourself and getting all bold and adventurous. But it does look that way. I was in the special wing of Brentford Cottage Hospital, drugged up to the eyeballs. Your presence suppressed from my mind. So where were you during that time? Perhaps you are some kind of shapeshifter capable of moving from the non-corporeal to the corporeal at will. Perhaps you killed the doctor after I left, and you became the large-toothed black man once more, and then killed James Crawford. Outrageous, said Mr. Giggles. You have no evidence whatsoever to support this outrageous allegation. Perhaps not, but it does fit together rather neatly, doesn't it? I'm Mr. Giggles, said Mr. Giggles. I'm not Mr. Homicidal Maniac. I don't know what you really are, said Johnny, but I will find out. Oh, yes, I will. You just wait and see. This is all a bit sudden, is it not? asked Mr. Giggles. All this assertiveness. Do you mean taking control of my life? Johnny asked. Where are we going? asked Mr. Giggles. To the house of the late James Crawford. And presently they arrived at the house of the late James Crawford. All right, said Mr. Giggles. If you are determined upon this reckless course of action, the best way to approach the situation is... But shut up, Johnny told him. The road was taped across, and police constables stood on guard. They carried semi-automatic weapons, because there was always the off chance that this might just have something to do with international terrorism, so you could never be too careful. Numerous newspapers and media Johnnies stood about, smoking cigarettes and making lewd remarks to passing women PCs. Johnny drove the police car right up to the tape, scattering numerous newspaper types before him. A constable with an AK-47 gestured for Johnny to wind down his window. Johnny wound it down. Drop the tape, please, constable, said Johnny. On whose authorization? asked the PC. On whose authorization what? asked Johnny. On whose authorization, sir, said the PC. Drop the tape at once, commanded Johnny. The constable dropped the tape, and then saluted. "'Ludicrous,' said Mr. Giggles. "'Tell me that that did not just happen.' Johnny Hooker grinned a wicked grin. "'And stop doing that,' said Mr. Giggles. "'You're frightening me.' Johnny Hooker drove slowly down the blocked off road. Of course, it had been too easy. Ridiculously easy. Impossibly easy. But that wasn't to say that it was impossible. Implausible, perhaps but not impossible. And that, perhaps, was the point. There was a big white van double-parked before the house of the late James Crawford. The back was open, and men in environmental suits were unloading picnic chairs and a table tennis table. Johnny drove around them and parked up. Then he hooted the horn. A constable issued from the house of the deceased. He carried a General Electric minigun. Johnny beckoned to him through the open car window. Hurry up, lad. He called as he beckoned. This door won't go opening itself, will it? No, sir, said the constable. And he opened up the door. So what do we have here? Asked Johnny Hooker, inside the house now, and in the front room. And who are you? Asked a certain body. Chicotine, special branch. Hence the dress uniform. And you? Inspector Westlake, said Inspector Westlake. On special second bint from the Bramfield Constabulary. I am awaiting information regarding the very special and top-secret assignment that I have been called here to deal with. In the meantime, I thought I might as well solve this murder. It is within my compass, as it were. Inspector Westlake made a certain gesture. I see, said Johnny, and it sounded as if he did. And he made a certain gesture of his own. Well, just carry on. I'll take a little look around on my own, if you don't mind. Well, actually, I do, said Inspector Westlake might I see your ID? I trust you noted that, said Johnny, pointing to a stain upon the wallpaper just to the right of the fireplace. Suggestive, would you not agree? Eh? said the inspector. Johnny considered an, eh, what? But then he thought better of it. I'm sure you know your own business best, he said. I'll just leave you to it. Inspector Westlake went to examine the stain. Johnny cast an eye about the room. Now, Some rooms are certainly happy. They have a jolly feel to them. They have cheerful wallpaper and a sunny disposition. One can sit in such a room and feel elevated, happy, given to a peacefulness of mind. This was not one of those rooms. This room was a sorry room, a room given to despair, a lost room, a room that had abandoned all hope, a room that was crying inside, and all around and about. Glum was this room. Glum and grim, of dismal aspect. No natural light, Johnny observed. Pardon? said a constable who was carrying a rocket launcher. No natural light. What is that over the window? Soundproofing, said the constable. It's all over the room. There, there, and even up there. He swung his rocket launcher up towards the ceiling, nearly putting Johnny's eye out. This whole room is soundproofed and double thickness. I know these things, see, because I'm in a band and we've recorded in a real recording studio. Fascinating, said Johnny. Do you really think so? I have one of our CDs here. Perhaps you'd like to hear it. Love to, said Johnny, and he accepted the proffered CD. Dry rot, he continued, and a smile appeared upon Johnny's face. It was a sort of secretive smile, a smile that, if you'd asked it what it meant— It would have replied that it meant something that you didn't know, but wasn't going to tell. "'That's the name of our band,' said the constable. "'We play at the middleman on metal nights. "'You should come along sometime.' "'I'll try,' said Johnny. "'But in the meantime, if you don't start calling me sir, "'I will have you court-martialed, or whatever the police equivalent of that is.' "'Pork-martialed?' suggested the PC. "'I'm not really into the respect-for-your-superiors side of policing.' I joined up for the weapons and the suspect interrogation. I've got really long hair tucked up inside my helmet. Where's the body? Johnny asked. Has it been removed to the morgue? No, it's over there, behind the upturned armchair. But I wouldn't go looking at it if I were you. It's pretty grisly. Johnny glanced some more about the miserable room. He had a lot of gramophone records, he said, citing many a shelf load. About 30,000 by my reckoning, said the constable and some real gems amongst them. I had a little delve. All catalogued, alphabetical order. Pick a band and have a look. I'll bet there's a copy here. I doubt that, said Johnny. Name a band, said the constable. Dry rot, said Johnny. Well, that's not fair, said the constable. We only cut a dozen copies on vinyl. They're very expensive to get done. Mind you, a damn fine mini-album it was, called Pretense of Strategy. The best track is sides to a story, but there won't be a copy here. He's not likely to have got hold of one. He might, said Johnny. He won't have, said the constable. Humor me, said Johnny. All right, said the constable. He pushed past Inspector Westlake, who was studying a stain upon the wallpaper with the aid of a magnifying glass, and applied himself to one of the record shelves. Some call me Laz, he went, by Laszlo Woodbine and the Woodbineettes. Blimey, that's rare and the original soundtrack album for Plan 9 from Outer Space. And, blimey. Blimey? said Johnny. A copy of our demo, said the constable. The first copy. I thought I had that. Where are the J's? Johnny asked. J's? asked the constable. For Johnson, Robert Johnson. King of the Delta Blues? You've heard of him? He was the man, said the constable. He invented it all. Would you check the Jays, please, constable? And whilst Inspector Westlake continued to inspect a stain upon the wallpaper and a couple of chaps in environmental suits fussed about at this and that whilst erecting a swing ball in the center of the room, the musically inclined constable checked the Jays for Robert Johnson. Damn me, he said. Yep, the full compliment, a collector's dream. All thirty, asked Johnny. He only recorded twenty-nine, said the constable. See all the numbered, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and 30, said Johnny, and he pulled a brown card slip sleeve from the shelf. Apocalypse Blues, he read. Recorded London, August 16th, 1938. No way, said the constable. Johnny put his hand through the hole in the center of the sleeve. Empty, said he. The recording is gone. We're gonna move the body now, sir, came a muffled voice muffled by the plastic face-mask jobby on the scientific support chap's environmental suit. Get to it, then, said Inspector Westlake. Johnny peeped on as two of the environmentally suited fellows pulled aside the toppled armchair to reveal the body of Mr. James Crawford. Oh, my goodness, said Johnny as he viewed it. Oh, yes, said Inspector Westlake. Very messy business. Same as that Dr. Archie, head chopped right off the body and taken away as a trophy by the murderer. We're dealing with a psycho serial killer here and this won't be the last you mark my words and johnny marked his words chapter 14. johnny hooker's hand was tightly over his gob the sight of a headless body can elicit a degree of queasiness in fact most people go through life without ever seeing a headless body so their metal as it were is never tested johnny hooker swallowed and swallowed again it would not look good Indeed, not professional for him to hurl up his stomach contents over the chaps in the white environmental suits. Questions might be asked. Questions. Johnny Hooker had a moment. Took in a moment. Reality seemed to be long gone. He had bumbled along, a no mark, a nonsuch for all of his life. True, he was a talented musician, but it had never taken him anywhere, for he had never taken it anywhere. He had been too wound up in himself. In the problems he had with himself, simply with trying to be himself, simply trying to survive. But this, all this, was as ridiculous as it was exciting. And it was exciting. And he was involved in it. Involved directly in something for possibly the very first time in his life. He was attached to this. There was something about this that allowed him a degree of control. Which enabled him. But it was all so absurd so unreal. You can't just bluff your way into a crime scene dressed as a park ranger but posing as a high-ranking police officer, especially when you are the prime suspect. It simply cannot be done. Yet. Sir, said the constable with the rocket launcher. And please, sir, understand me. I do hate to have to call you sir, but... Sir... As you are evidently possessed of a certain institution that has clearly not been granted to other senior officers of the law, he gestured towards Inspector Westlake with the business end of his rocket launcher, and nearly put Johnny's left testicle out. I am thinking that perhaps you should have a look at this, and he did a bit of discreet finger-pointing with his non-trigger finger. Johnny followed the direction of the pointing, a skill that he was now raising to almost an art form, and spied out the object of the pointing. A book somewhat bloody about the edges, that lay upon the seat of a Wobecon armchair. The constable now raised his trigger-free hand and spoke behind it in a whispery, secretive manner. I was first on the crime scene, he secretively whispered, and I had a little flick through that. It was lying on the floor. You might find it of interest. Perhaps a clue or two lies within. Perhaps, said Johnny. And then, what is that? And he pointed up to the ceiling. It was a loud, what is that? And it drew the attention of all who were present in the melancholy room. The men in the environmental suits dropped the headless body. Inspector Westlake just said, What? Johnny scooped up the book from the armchair and swept it into his pocket. What? said Inspector Westlake once again. Ah, said Johnny, apparently nothing. I thought I saw something, but no, it was nothing. As nothing as the stain by the fireplace said the inspector. It's a damp patch. It's been here for years by the look of it. Bravo, said Johnny. Has anyone checked out the rest of the premises? Of course, said Inspector Westlake. Splendid, said Johnny. I'll just follow up on the details, then. This young officer will accompany me. Inspector Westlake waved them away. Are we off to the pub, then? asked the police constable once he and Johnny had left the room of dolefulness. Have you checked out the rest of the house? Well, I did have a bit of a snoop about. The bedroom's pretty weird. Weird? Up there. See for yourself. The constable led Johnny to the bedroom. He pushed open the door and turned on the light, and Johnny peered within. It was not a happy room. Indeed, if the room directly beneath this bedroom had been a heart-sinking and death-wish leading to suicidal tendency room, this bedroom had surpassed it or possibly undermined it in the field of wretched disconsolateness, or indeed such like. And this was a rather smelly room, a room that was rank indeed. Phew-wee, went Johnny, fanning at his nose. I'd join you in such fanning, said the constable, but I might, like as not, put my nose out with this rocket launcher. You could use your other hand. I could, said the constable, but I don't want to, all right? Fine with me, said Johnny. "'So what is with this horrid smell?' "'Same business,' said the constable. "'Window all soundproofed over. "'And the walls, too, as you can see.' "'I do see,' said Johnny. "'But what is this all over the walls? "'They're scrawled all over with felt-tip pen or something.' "'Take a close look,' said the constable. "'And Johnny did so.' "'Music,' he said. "'Musical notation. "'Lines and lines of music all over every wall. "'Do you read music?' "'Johnny asked. "'I'm in a band, aren't I?' said the constable. "'Johnny nodded. "'So, do you read music?' "'Of course not. "'Who reads music nowadays?' "'Well, actually, I do,' said Johnny. "'Curious thing. "'I was able to read music before I was even taught to read and write.' "'That's the first I've heard of that,' said the constable. "'It's the first time I've mentioned it,' said Johnny. "'So do you think it's significant?' "'What do you think?' "'I'm not paid to think,' said the constable. "'I'm paid to do what I'm told, "'and hopefully be told once in a while "'to shoot at someone with this here rocket launcher. "'A swarthy terrorist, hopefully.' "'Johnny Hooker sighed. "'And could I offer you some advice "'whilst we're on the subject of terrorists?' "'We're not on the subject of terrorists,' said Johnny. "'Of murderers, then. "'Or at least wanted suspects.' "'Go on,' said Johnny slowly. "'Well,' said the constable, "'and no offense meant.' you really are crap at impersonating a police officer. Don't you think that wearing a Gunnersbury Park Ranger's uniform is a bit of a giveaway, as it were? What? went Johnny. I'm not thinking to turn you in, or even arrest you myself. But what? went Johnny. An even louder what than before. But I really would hightail it out of here if I were you, said the constable, before the truth dawns upon Westlake. Johnny's mouth went flap, flap, flap. But the word what, accompanied by a question mark, did not issue from it yet again. After a moment or two, the words, "'You recognized me?' did, though. "'You're kidding me, right?' said the constable. "'I'm not kidding,' said Johnny. "'Johnny,' said the constable. "'It's me, Paul. We went to school together, remember?' "'Ah,' said Johnny. "'School together, was it?' "'It was,' said Constable Paul. "'You sat next to me in Mr. Vox's class?' And Mr. Jenner took us for music, and you used to show off because you could read the music to concertos better than him, so he used to make you go outside and stand in the quadrangle. Remember? I do remember, said Johnny. I remember all too well. Johnny looked Paul up and down. I didn't recognize you, he said. It must be the uniform. Really? said Paul, and he shook his head. You're shaking your head, said Johnny. Well, said Paul, I am thinking that the fact that I told you I was the bass guitarist and dry rot should have tipped you off. Ah, said Johnny. Ah, indeed, said Constable Paul, seeing as how you are the lead guitarist in that very band. Ah, yes, said Johnny. But I didn't want to give myself away, not in front of Westlake. I did give a sort of secretive smile, though. You might have picked up on that. Small world, eh? Small world? Said Constable Paul. Small world? "'Well, it is a coincidence. I didn't even know you were a policeman. "'I recall you telling me that you were something big in rock and roll in the city.' "'Yeah, well, I'm not,' said Constable Paul. "'Oh, and this is for you. And without any warning, "'because that is the way you must always do it if you wish to do it successfully.' "'He swung a fist at Johnny and caught him right on the chin. "'Johnny fell back, arms all flailing, mouth all going, "'Ouch!' and, "'Oh, you twat!' cried Constable Paul. Getting yourself wanted by the bloody police when we're playing a gig on Friday at the middleman, and O'Fagan was going to pay us in everything. You hit me, Johnny lay amongst the tissues and mags. You're unbelievable, said Constable Paul, and he looked to be squaring up to administer further hittings should Johnny choose to regain his feet. Park keepers uniform, park ranger, said Johnny. And a bloody wanted man, and you turn up here. Murderers always return to the scene of the crime, is that it? That isn't it. Of course that isn't it. I didn't murder anyone. Then what are you doing here? I have to find out. Johnny didn't try to rise, just sat there looking glum. I have to find out, he said once more. What is really going on? And something is going on. Something big. I know it. I just know it. And you're going to solve this whatever it is this something big? I'm part of it, and it's part of me, and I can't explain, but I know that whatever it is, it's making me alive. Do you know what I mean? Constable Paul shook his head. You can get up now, he said. I promise I won't hit you again. And he helped Johnny back to his feet. What are you going to do now? He asked. Several things, said Johnny. Three things, in fact. Could you photograph all these walls and the ceiling and what you can of the floor for me? No sweat, "'said Constable Paul. "'Can do that on my mobile phone.' Second thing. "'I have to make a swift getaway,' said Johnny. "'Out the way you came and away in the police car you nicked.' "'Brilliant,' said Johnny. "'I'll call you and we'll meet up later, okay?' "'Okay,' said Constable Paul. "'And the third thing? "'Johnny need Constable Paul in those oh-so-tender regions. "'Speak to you later,' he said. Chapter 15 "'Violence,' said Mr. Giggles, "'You administered violence.' "'He hit me first, said Johnny. "'I was simply balancing things.' "'Balancing things?' "'You're growing out of control. "'Punching that Dr. Archie was bad enough. "'But as for kneeing Paul in the nuts, "'he hit me first. "'All wrong. All wrong. "'He could have turned you in, but he didn't.' "'What are you getting so upset about?' "'I abhor violence,' said Mr. Giggles. "'How strange,' said Johnny.' "'as you've put me in position so many times in the past "'that I have caused folk to mete out violence to me.' "'I never have,' said Mr. Giggles. "'Oh, really?' said Johnny. "'And yet I recall so vividly the time you persuaded me to play "'Point Out the Porker' in KFC "'and that very large woman beating the Beedoo Dads out of me. "'How was I to know that she knew Dimac? "'How, indeed?' "'Johnny had ditched the police car.' He hadn't wanted to because it was a comfortable ride, and it did appear to command a certain degree of respect from fellow motorists. But he had been forced to as he'd heard the all-points bulletin being put out over the dashboard radio regarding the fact that the car had been toosed. Author's note. Taking without consent. And that officers were being encouraged to shoot upon sight the potential terrorist who had done the toosing thereof. Or the said toosing. Or whatever. Johnny now rode in a black Chrysler Cruiser. And that's another thing, said Mr. Giggles. You two seeing this car? How did you know that the keys from the police car would work in this car? Everyone knows that, said Johnny. Police car keys are special keys that can work in any vehicle. Are you sure that everyone knows that? Absolutely, said Johnny. The same as everyone knows that if you leave your hall light on at night when you go out, burglars will think you're at home and not attempt to break in and rob you and everyone knows that? Everyone except for burglars, said Johnny. The world is a wonderful place, is it not? What did you say? asked Mr. Giggles. You heard what I said. I heard it, but I don't believe that I heard it. I have no comment to make on that, said Johnny, and he took a corner at speed, and he took a corner at speed and had a passing clerk off his bicycle. You're enjoying yourself, said Mr. Giggles. I am, said Johnny. That's not right, said Mr. Giggles. You don't want me to enjoy myself? I thought that you dedicated yourself to helping me enjoy myself, encouraging me to enjoy myself, doing everything within your power to ensure that I enjoy myself. Mr. Giggles went, hmm, in a certain manner. So you must be happy for me, said Johnny. Oh, yes, said Mr. Giggles. I am. I really am. So where are we going now? Back to the park, said Johnny. Back to the park? It's lunchtime. And, of course it was. Because time does pass quickly when you're enjoying yourself. And Johnny Hooker really was enjoying himself. And he'd had a busy morning, and it was a little after one of the afternoon o'clock, so he returned to Gunnersbury Park. And parked the stolen Chrysler in amongst some bushes behind the public car park and ambled off to the park ranger's hut. Ranger Hotry was very pleased to see him. Ranger Connor, not so much. Where have you been? He asked Johnny. Litter patrol, said Johnny. Caught some school truants having a cigarette. Formed them into a litter patrol. I hope you approve. I do, said Ranger Connor. Well done, that man. Ranger Hotry smiled and shook his head. It's French omelets today, he said. Seasoned with cinnamon, garlic, gallingale, and nutmeg. With a salad on the side and crispy fries. Wow, said Johnny. A gourmet repast? "'My hobby,' said Ranger Hawtrey, "'That, and learning how to play the classical violin. "'But that's a bit tricky because I'm left-handed.' "'Why so tricky?' Johnny asked. "'There's no such thing as a left-handed concert violinist,' said Ranger Hawtry. "'You can't have one in an orchestra because their bowing arm would bump into the other violinists.' "'Well, I never knew that,' said Johnny. "'Ranger Hawtrey served Johnny up with lunch. "'As he passed him a Queen's pattern knife and fork, he whispered, "'How's it going?' I'll tell you later, said Johnny. Could you pass the tomato sauce? Ranger Connor had finished his lunch and settled down in one of the Queen Anne chairs, put his feet up on a Persian poof, and got stuck in for a bit of a nap. Ranger Hotry pulled a copy of Southpaw Violinist from one of his loaded pockets, and despite his eagerness to know what Johnny had been up to, took to the reading of it. Johnny ate and appreciated his lunch. He took the blood-stained book out of his pocket and gave it a bit of a perusal. On the Flyleaf was written, in a shaky hand. This book belongs to James Crawford, and beneath this, James Crawford's address, and beneath this, what appeared to be the title of the book, and this title was, Answers? Answers, thought Johnny. Answers to what? To the meaning of life, may chance, said Mr. Giggles, but Johnny ignored him. Johnny turned the page and read the words, If you are reading this book, then it means that I am dead. I do not claim to have all of the answers. The one who comes after me will find out all of the answers. I only hope that this book will provide him or her with something to work on. Hmm, went Johnny, and he read on. The writing was all in capital letters and all in violet ink. Neither boded particularly well, but Johnny persevered. After all, if he was looking for a clue, then this was definitely it. They are amongst us, he read. There's no telling how many of them there are. One can only guess. What is known from recorded history is that they form themselves into tight covens or gangs, that they hide themselves in secret places, that they construct their machines in secret places, and that they man their machines in those secret places. These machines, these looms that weave the air, the sounds, the music, are used to affect control. The subject chosen for control is magnetized this can be done at any time the magnetizer may disguise himself in a hundred different ways perhaps as a postman or a house painter a dog walker or a simple passerby but however he is disguised he administers the magnetization which is done through electrical contamination once the loom is attuned to the unique magnetic vibration of the chosen subject then the keyboard will be manipulated and the notes dispatched as a magnetic flux or vibrating wave or carrier signal The music, which is played upon the keyboard by the member of the gang who is known only as the Glove Woman, passes its rhythms to the subject, not as the notes which they are, but as the words that they are in accordance to sympathy with these notes. Which is to say that the scale is also an alphabet of sound. The notes become words when absorbed into the subject's head. The subject hears these words coming apparently from without. They will be interpreted according to the subject's belief system. The voice of God? The voice of the devil? The voice of inspiration? An alien life form? An imaginary friend? Johnny paused at this, munched upon a crispy fry, and took a sip of tea. And then he read more. Why do these gangs target a particular subject? The reasons are many and various, but all to one end. Control. Ultimate control. To control individuals with a view to controlling all. There is no escape for the subject once marked by the magnetizer. For not only does the loom weave its magic, the subject cannot escape from the music of others. In the supermarket, in a cafe or restaurant or public house, issuing from the headphones of fellow travelers or passers-by, or from windows, or indeed from their own record or CD collections, or from the radio or television, or indeed any electrical apparatus capable of issuing a pulse that might be a regular beat. All this music, indeed all music, contains the hidden formula, the hidden code, and all can be activated by those gangs who work the looms. Such it has been for centuries, and it will continue to be unless... Johnny Hooker turned the page. Unless what? There was no more text. Johnny flicked this way and that, but that was it. Johnny Hooker closed the book and returned it to his pocket. I mean... A bit like going to the zoo and sticking your head in the tiger's mouth, Ranger Hotry laughed out loud and pointed to a page of his magazine. Southpaw fiddle humor, he explained. Don't mind me. Ranger Hotry, said Johnny. Call me Charlie, said Charlie. I know I should have said to call me Charlie earlier, of course, but I'm a bit shy. Right, said Johnny. Well, Charlie, remember how you were telling me about your brother, the one you gave the iPod to? I do recall said Charlie. Andy's banged up in the special wing at Brentford Cottage Hospital. I prefer to use the expression receiving treatment, but in truth it amounts to the same thing. Well, said Johnny, I was just thinking. It's a very nice day and everything. What say we pop to the hospital after work and pay your brother a visit? Ranger Charlie made a thoughtful face. But, and he whispered to Johnny, and no offense to you, believe me, But do you not feel that as a wanted suspect in the murder of Dr. Archie at Brentford Cottage Hospital, you turning up there this afternoon might just be asking for trouble? Johnny Hooker nodded, and he grinned. Yes, he said to Ranger Charlie. Just like that.